0: You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Chapter
1: 5. The words are up on the screen as well. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is... To come, we uh, for those of you who are visiting, uh, we're looking through this book, Second Corinthians. Paul's writing to a letter to the church, and it's something that is profoundly moving, actually, and very, very important for every one of us. Paul, in the previous minis- in previous chapters, and the following ones, he's, got, he's been talking about things that cause him to lose heart. He's discouraged in some ways. And he now goes on to think about his death. And, you know, it's a glorious, beautiful, sunshiny day. Why why do we want to think about death? Well, not because we're morbid, but precisely the very opposite, as you will see. I think what concerns Paul is his own deteriorating condition. If you go back to chapter 1 and verse 8... We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Or in chapter 4, verse 7 But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And then on into chapter 6 and verse 4, he says, rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, In great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Paul is being battered. He is being battered. He is facing death. He is facing discouragement in so many ways. And yet, I doubt that you will find a more joyful letter, even Philippians, than Second Corinthians. Because he faces up full face to the greatest reality that any of us face, that we are all dying. He asks, what if I die? What if I shuffle off this mortal coil? Is that the worst thing? No, it's not. And I want to suggest this to you. And you may be a younger person and think, no, this doesn't apply to me. When When I'm getting older, this will apply. No, it applies now. We need to meditate more on heaven and hell. If we're going to be of more earthly use, we need to be more heavenly minded. There's a wonderful book I'd recommend to you, and you may think, oh, I couldn't read that. I think you could. Baxter's The Saint's Everlasting Rest. It's an old Puritan book, but you will benefit so much from reading just a, a few pages of it uh, every week. And he says, as Paul says, as he is thinking about this, he's thinking about the glory that is due to come. And we're going to reflect on what that is this morning. But how can we know that? Because it's as yet unseen. We don't see it. We don't grasp it. We don't understand it. So how can we know it? This is not a case of telling a very small child, you know, when your hamster dies, it goes to heaven. When your granny dies, she goes to heaven. Everyone goes to heaven. And heaven is just like earth. This is Paul saying there is a reality that is beyond our seeing, but it is real. So how do we know? Well, the only way we can know is if God reveals Himself and we reveals it Himself, and He does throw through His Spirit. It's not a general knowledge, but it must be personal and specific. I put down here that this was Calvin. I'm not sure that it was, but i put it down, Calvin. You're more likely to listen for those of you who are Calvinists. For those of you who are not, it won't work. But um, I picked this up, and I think it was Calvin. It said, On the contrary, everyone must have a knowledge peculiar to himself, for this and this only can animate me to meet death with cheerfulness if I am fully persuaded that I am departing to a better life. See, what I don't want you to get from this is a kind of general Christian doctrine that we believe in heaven, and that we believe in everlasting life. What I want you to get from this is for you personally to know what that means. Because only when you know that within yourself can you face what lies ahead with cheerfulness. May the Lord grant that that is what will happen. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry. <clears throat> Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. So what is this living hope? What is this thing that we have? Well, first of all, Paul talks about the earthly tent we live in being destroyed. And the earthly tent is clearly the human body. Now, it is an incredible thing. I mean, I love, you know, you just go and Google any of these things and you'll get all these different things about how your nail takes six months to grow from base to the end and and so on. I I, I mean, it is incredible. And those of you who are medical students, um, I hope you never, ever lose sight of the wonder of the human body. It is an incredible thing. But I wonder if your philosophy is that of Christopher Hitchens. I do not have a body. I am a body. Is that all that you are? There's something, I think, that is much, much more. We do all need to face up to that. Our human body is earthly and mortal. That's what he says. It is earthly. It is of the earth, and it is mortal. It is a tent. It's like a real tent. Tents are great, I don't know if you've ever been camping, but it's great having a tent. But when you go camping in Scotland, and uh, there's a few storms occasionally, your tent gets a bit battered, and it gets a bit worn. Uh, I was cycling up to uh, Port Mahomet one time in the north of Scotland, and I stopped, pitched my tent just outside uh, Pitlochry, and I was having a great sleep until this waterproof tent the rain started coming in. I'm saying, this is a waterproof tent. This doesn't make sense. But then it had just worn out. It had just didn't take long for it to wear out. Tents are subject to wear and tear. And what Paul is teaching us here is our bodies are like that. They will wear out. We are born to die. We do have a beginning and we do have an end. Maybe another interesting thing as well is, tents don't have foundations. And our our life, by definition, our life is very, very limited. The first man was of the dust of the earth, Paul had said earlier to the Corinthians. The second man from heaven, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. It is earthly and it is mortal. Now, some of you, I think, logically, every single one of you will accept that. But I would like to speculate this, that most of you will not accept that emotionally. Most of you cannot look in a mirror and go, I am a dying person. You can't look in a mirror like that. Because our our whole spirit and soul and body goes against that, cries out against that. But it's the truth. And so our body groans and is burdened. There are many, many things that cause us to groan. Maybe you're the kind of person who is just a moaner and you'll moan about everything. You'll moan about you didn't like this particular picture or you didn't like uh, that particular color of shoe that someone was wearing. You didn't like this particular meal. Just anything you find to groan about. But I suspect that those of us who are moaners are are moaners about trivial things. That we don't really groan within ourselves as we are conscious of our own weakness. There are discouragements in this life that cause us to groan, that's sure. And there's a longing for a better one to come. There's a burden that we carry. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men and yet they cannot fathom what he has done from beginning to end. What a burden God has laid on men. You are conscious of beauty, you are conscious of life, and you are conscious all the time that you are dying. How do we cope? The body is like an old car which keeps breaking down and keeps going wrong. Calvin called it our miserable condition on earth. That's so hard for you to grasp. When, you know, you wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning, you go to the gym, you have your, your cappuccino, whatever, you're full of life, you're, you're, you're young and full of zeal, and everything is wonderful. It's so hard to grasp, and yet it is so real. Uh, I was in fifth year in school when uh, a number of us were walking home from a school dance, and uh, it was a great time, and we heard that... Four of our friends who are walking home had been hit by a drunk driver and they all died. We're mortal. We're mortal. There's just no way around that. We learn also from this passage that nakedness is not our purpose. Naked we come into this world. Naked we shall leave it. But we are not to be unclothed. God does promise us something else. The earthly tent we live in is fading. Our bodies will go. But believers do not just desire death because we are fed up with life. A believer can truly look forward to the day of their death. There's a wonderful book that uh, Annabelle's always going on about, and she's quite right to go on about it, um, in which uh, there's a quote from Jonathan Edwards. The day of the believer's death is better than the day of their birth. When the women in this congregation who are pregnant have their, have their babies, we will rejoice and celebrate. When a believer dies, we mourn for those who are left, including ourselves. But there should also be a rejoicing and a celebration as well. It's like throwing away old clothes and putting on new ones. It's like having a dirty, filthy garment and being given a, a, a brand new, clean one. It's like um, what happened to us. Uh, we were driving on New Year's Day, and someone hit our car and totaled it. It was wrecked. Uh, I quite liked our old uh, wee jazz, uh, and, you know, it was quite comfortable with it, and the thought of it just going off to the scrap heap, its just going off to the scrap heap. And that's actually quite sad that that's happened. You know, you think, oh, what are we going to do? And so on. Well, out of various things in the insurance and everything, we've got a new car. And it's better than the old one. It's a Honda Civic, not a Honda Jazz. And it's bigger and it's shinier and it smells new. And it's got you go into the car and you just, I just want to sit in the car and get the new smell. Go, ah. And you think the old Jazz, boy, it stank. That was the old smell. But we were so used to it, you weren't aware of it. And it's faster and it's more powerful. I personally think that's a great analogy of when a believer dies Actually, your body smells, your body's old, your body's decrepit, the wheels are falling off. When you die and you go to heaven, this is what we're being told, you get a brand new body. And that's why he speaks about the house, the heavenly dwelling, the heavenly mansion. There's the tent on earth, and there's the heavenly mansion. That's what he talks about. It is heavenly, it is eternal. What is it though? What has been spoken of? Well, there are two passages in particular. First of all, Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Think of that. Just even, even just stop and just think of that. They're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I'd love to go into that, but please read Romans eight when you go home. Think on it, meditate on it, because it's just a most incredible passage. It's saying this new body that we're going to have will be one that's not subject to decay. It's not subject. Our new car is subject to decay. As soon as it was driven out of the showroom, it lost a third of its value. Next year, it will be more decay, and the year after, the more decay and more decay. That is like our bodies, but our body in heaven will not be subject to decay. Our citizenship is in heaven, says Paul, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Jesus is going to take this body and transform it. You're here and you're an older person and you feel that your body is fading. Jesus is going to take your body and transform it. What is that body? It's not, forgive the expression, an ethereal negligee. It's not some kind of Ooh, spiritual thing. It is actually a body. But what is a spiritual body? I think Paul tells us Something here, it's it's life. It's not a disembodied existence. That's what the Gnostics of the time look forward to. There will be knowledge, there will be eating, there will be dancing, there will be joy. I, I actually don't know what it's going to be like, but I know what the Bible says that what we experience now is the shadow, what comes is the reality. It will be glorious, it's called glory, it is glorification. It is, says Calvin, the supreme and perfect blessedness which awaits us as believers in heaven after death. I've buried many Christians, and I've buried many non-believers. The the difference between the two funerals is phenomenal. I remember uh, one elder in Brora, that he faded as he faded, he Alzheimer's, and many, many other things. The day of his funeral was a day of tears and sorrow. There's no doubt about that. It was also a day that was of extraordinary joy. Extraordinary joy. I love what C.S. Lewis says. <laughs> this one's um, difficult to read. I, I don't know how Lewis got this. I, to me, when I read this first in a children's book, The last battle I thought, how 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 did you get this so well? Because I think this describes beautifully the Christian hope. Their hearts leaped, and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them... It was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. What a beautiful way of describing the Christian hope. It's life. It's our clothing. It's our purpose. We weren't created to be naked, if you like. We weren't created to die and that just be it. Death in that sense is unnatural. Our purpose is to glorify God, is to be clothed, to enjoy him forever. God made us, he said, for this very purpose. Look what verse five says. God made us for this incredible purpose. He's given us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Believers are clothed with Christ and thus are immortal. Augustine put it this way, my thoughts and the deepest places of my soul are torn with every kind of tumult until the day when I shall be purified and melted in the fire of your love and wholly joined to you. There will come a day for you as a Christian believer when you will not experience sin, when you will not experience pain, when you will not experience sorrow, when there will be no fear. You will be, as Augustine says, melted and glorified in the fire of God's love. Revelation 7, 14, and he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Listen we as believers are children of the resurrection. T-Rex had a song, we're children of the revolution. We are children of the resurrection. And everything that's been spoken here is so astonishingly wonderful that people will go, no, 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 that's just a dream. That's not reality. But it is the reality for the believer. Now, in this passage, Christians have argued for ages, when does this occur? Is there an intermediate state? When the believer dies, does their soul sleep and the body and so on? I don't know. And for me, it's not the purpose of the passage. And to be honest, I couldn't even, I started writing down stuff about the different points of view and then I thought, no, I give up. That's not why this passage was written. This passage was written to believers to tell you that when your body fades, when you die, you are going to be with Christ in heaven and your body is going to be, your renewed body, it's going to be united with your renewed, uncleansed and, and purified spirit, and it's going to be so wonderful that we cannot even begin to describe what it is like. How do we know this? Verse five: God made us for this purpose. God has given us His spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit possesses all the attributes of God. The Holy Spirit lives within us as believers. The Holy Spirit comes and makes our bodies His temple. This tent, which is falling apart, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not the temple in Jerusalem, not the great religious buildings, but your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Without this, we could not even be believers. Unless we are born of the Spirit, we cannot even see the kingdom of God. But here is the astonishing thing. The Holy Spirit is here. Now, I mentioned George, and and I'm not going to be around about the bush. George is seriously ill. He is dying. Thanos' mother is dying. To sit and to pray with a believer who is dying, you would think, That's got to be one of the most depressing things. No, it is not. Because the Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit is there. Almost more than you could imagine anywhere else. He is the guarantee. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. He is the earnest. He is the deposit. You know, when you want to buy a house and you put down a deposit, that's it the deal is sealed. The money's in the bank. You may not have the house yet, but you've guaranteed it. How do we know this is true for believers? Because you've been given the Holy Spirit. God has given you himself. What did the Spirit do? He raised Jesus from the dead. And if he raised Jesus from the dead, he will raise us as well. He is the foretaste. He is the witness. He tells us that glory is our home, that where our Savior is, that's where we belong. That's what the Spirit does. He gives us spiritual life, new birth, changes our hearts. He's at work in us right now. I'm a Christian because of the Holy Spirit working in my life. And if you're a Christian, it's because of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And if you're not a Christian, you know what I pray is happening right now, because the Holy Spirit is here, and I pray that he is working in your life and enabling you to long for Jesus and to long for heaven. I love again C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce. Redeemed humanity is still young. It has hardly come to its full strength but already there is joy enough in the little finger of a great saint such as yonder lady to waken all the dead things of the universe into life. Just what a great way again of putting it. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and there is more life in your little finger to waken the whole universe to life. In this dead world, in this dark world, where all the sin and oppression and so on, you, you go out and you stare at the universe, and most of the universe is cold and lifeless and dead. And in your little finger is more life than needed to waken the whole universe. And that's what Paul is doing. That's how Paul is... In, in encouraging us. And that's how he is encouraging himself, because he's preaching to himself. He feels this pain. He feels himself getting old. He feels the weakness in his body. He feels the oppression of the devil. He feels death and decay all around him. And he glories in it because Jesus has redeemed his body and has redeemed his soul. That has got to be tremendous encouragement no matter what circumstances you are facing. And I, I, I want to appeal to those of you who are not yet Christians. You might look at this and you might say, you know, nice, nice idea, pie in the sky when you die. I'm telling you, I have, I've got evidence for this, and here's the evidence How come within you there is this desire to live and to go on living? How come there is within you this screaming against the darkness, this raging against the night? How come death is so horrible to you? Because you were not made for it. Because death is an enemy. Because you were made for God. And what I'm saying, I accept. I accept this absolutely is so astonishing That I think most Christians don't even get it. To me, when I was preparing this and looking at this, I found it really, really hard not to cry. You would have thought I was really upset. You're sitting up in the room up there, and if you'd come in and you would have said, "What's wrong?" As someone died, you know, my answer would have been, "Yes, Jesus died, and I'm not going to die." And there's tremendous hope for people. There's tremendous hope for those who are dying. There's tremendous hope for people in this city. As I I look and I see their faces and I see the pain and the sorrow and I look at the the news and so many different things and kind of everything within me wants to scream, there's just tremendous hope. Tremendous hope because of what Jesus did. And without Jesus, there isn't a single bit of hope. And if you're not a believer, let me tell you this, you have no hope. You have no hope. And yet, that need not be the case. Why will you die, says the Lord? Why will you die? Find out about Christ. Come to Christianity Explored. It's not a course. Pray for God to to, to speak to you. And and find out to have this hope. It is beyond, it really, really is beyond anything you can imagine. And for the believer, let me just finish by going back to Romans 8. Because where else could we go? Romans 8:24 For in this hope we were saved but hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what he already has but if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait for it patiently in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness we do not know what we ought to pray for but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express See, there's a groaning within us that comes not from the fact that we are dying, but there's a groaning within us that comes from the fact that we long for something more because the Spirit has given us a foretaste of the glory that is to come. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. When the believer dies, they are glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? who's going to accuse those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray.
0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org Thanks for listening.